Welcome to the teachings of Pastor Mike Yost of the Springs Calvary Chapel in Habern, Idaho. Please join us as we study the Word of God. We're continuing on in the test in the book of Genesis. We started in chapter 42 and 43 last week as the brothers are returning to, or returning actually, they're going to Egypt to buy grain because there's a famine in the land. They're afraid they might run into that brother they sold into slavery. Sure enough, they do, and he is the one they have to get grain from. And Joseph recognizes him, and he begins to test them to see of what character, what kind of persons they are. The first is a test of truth. They say we are honest men. We are 12, uh, but we left the younger brother at home and one is no more. They lie because they're talking to the one who is no more. They fail that test. And then as a result, Joseph tests them even deeper in their integrity. Uh, he has Simeon, they're all imprisoned for three days, and then they, he keeps Simeon and he says, bring back Benjamin as a ransom uh, if you want to get Simeon back out and you want more food. So he sends them home, but he puts money in their sack. He's testing their integrity. And uh, then they get there and they're like, oh my, what has God done to us? Obviously, they're not seeing it from God's side of the table, but from their wicked heart side of the table. And even Jacob himself says, you're going to bring my gray hair in sorrow down to the grave. And they, they fail the test of integrity. And the famine becomes even more severe. God turns up the heat. He turns up the test. And the brothers return this time with Benjamin. And in this, Joseph hosts them to his own special home, a special meal, and uh, they're being tested. Uh, there's Benjamin at the table, and, and Joseph actually sets them up according to their birth order, and they're just gobsmacked, can't figure out how he can do all these things. And then in the midst of all that, he gives Benjamin five times as much as all the brothers, and he's testing, again, their heart, their, their envy, as they envied him, the 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 special son of their father, Jacob. Now, Benjamin, the other of the sons, he's testing their envy. And uh, so we continue in the test now in chapters 45, 44 and 45. And I'll give you a, a heads up. This is the big one. This is the test of love. And be certain, church, we are being tested. So chapter 44, verse 1. And he, this is Joseph now, is at the dinner, and he's seated them all and blessed them all. And he commanded the steward of his house, saying, fill the men's sack with food as much as they can carry, and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack. So that's kind of a repeat of the first time. Verse 2, also put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest, and his grain money. So he did according to the word that Joseph had spoken. His servant, we saw that in the last uh, week, kind of a picture of the Holy Spirit, how he works behind the scenes, bringing about the purposes of God in, in the world. Verse 3, And as soon as the morning dawned, the men were sent away, and they and their donkeys. And when they had gone out of the city, they were not far off, yet far off. Joseph said to his steward, Get up, follow the men, and when you overtake them, say to them, 
Why have you repaid evil for good? Okay? So this is the test, okay? He, he set them up. It's a sting, okay? He's going to see how they handle this situation. Verse 5, is not this the one from which my Lord drinks um, and which, with which he indeed practices divination? You have done evil in so doing. Um, so he overtook them and he spoke to them these same words and they said to him, why does my Lord say these words? Far be it from us that your servants should do such a thing, okay? And it's kind of interesting in this, right? He's testing them and it's, remember how originally he was sold? He was sold with 20 pieces of silver and now he's throwing that silver cup, that 20 pieces of silver, the price of a slave has now become his royal cup his goblet, and uh, now he tests them with that. That silver that you sold me for, let's see how you handle it. Verse 8, they say, look, we brought back to you from the Lord, land of Canaan the money which we found in the mouth of our sacks. How then could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? With whomever your servant is servants it is found, let him die, and we also will be my Lord's slaves. It's funny how we make rash vows. We don't really think things through, right? And uh, it's funny how they're always willing to see somebody die, right? Last week, it was Reuben telling Jacob, uh, if I can't return with your son, Benjamin, you can kill my two sons. Somehow that's going to work, right? And, and how, how quick they are to kill or think of killing. Um, it says, verse 9, with whomever of your servants it is found, let him die, and we also will be my Lord's slaves. And he said, now also let it be according to your words. He with whom it is found shall be my slave, and you shall be blameless. Okay, so I'm only wanting the one who's got the silver cup in his sack, but that one will be my slave, just as you guys spoke it. Verse 11, then each man speedily let down his sack to the ground, and each opened his sack. So he searched and began with the oldest and left off or finished with the youngest. You see how this is stacking up. We know where, this, where it is, right? It's in Benjamin's sack, the youngest, but the suspense, right? Oh, see, I didn't do it. Oh, see, I didn't do it, right? All the way down the line till we get to Benjamin, right? The one that Joseph really did not want to send back because if Benjamin doesn't come back, basically, it's as if they are um, killing their father. You'll bring my gray hair down to the grave in sorrow. So it's, it's the suspense is building. Verse 12, so he searched, he began with the oldest, left off with the youngest, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they tore their clothes, and each man loaded his donkey and returned to the city. Okay? We, we need to go back in and talk to Joseph about this. There's been a big mix-up, um, and they're just beside themselves with grief. Verse 14, so Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, and he was still there, and they fell before him on the ground. Notice it opens up, so Judah. And we're going to see Judah take the lead now. We've seen Judah fail and fall several times, okay? Most notably when Frankie was preaching that one sermon uh, in the town of, um, or with Tamar and, and all those things. And yet God worked all that together for good. God was able to take all these wicked things and line them up for his good purposes. And here Judah, who has fallen, is now going to take the lead. He's going to step up, and he's going to pass the test. That's spoiler alert. So Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, and he was still there, 
and they fell down before him on the ground. And Joseph said to them, what deed is this you have done? Did you know that such a man as I can certainly practice divination? Kind of an interesting thing here. Now, people will get into this whole business of divination, soothsaying, witchcraft, right? Reading tea leaves, tarot cards, and all those kinds of things. And, and say, did Joseph really do this wicked occult stuff? And, and you have to kind of back up as we go through this whole thing. He's using the term that they, as they would understand it, he's speaking to them according to how they would understand things. Remember, it was back in chapter 37 when Jacob sent Joseph up to Dothan to check on the boys, right? And they weren't where they were supposed to be. They weren't doing what they were supposed to do. And here comes Joseph in his code of authority. They see him from a long distance off, and they say, here comes that dreamer, right? And really, they're saying, here comes that, quote, master of dreams, that prince of dreams, that guy that thinks he knows what's going on. He has these dreams, and he's trying to tell us he can understand that stuff. So really, without them understanding it, yeah, hello, you're talking to the guy you accused of being the master of dreams. That's the nickname you hung on me. And now, <laughs> we'll see how this turns out. You do recall they just had finished a meal in which he set them down in their birthright, and they're all amazed. How did he know how to do that, right? And so they've got all kinds of issues with understanding who Joseph is and how God has chosen to use him to bless them, but they just don't see things from God's point of view. They just, they're so wrapped up in their own selves. Did you not know that such a man as I can certainly practice divination or unraveling mysteries and, and understanding dreams or things that aren't um, known? Verse 16, then Judah said, what shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how shall we clear ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of your servants. Here we are, my Lord's slaves, both we and he also with whom the cup was found. But he said, far be it from me that I should do so. The man in whose hand the cup is found, he shall be my slave. And as for you, go in peace to your father. That's really quite the dig. Joseph knows this, this the last thing they're going to be doing is going in peace to their father. They have the worst of all possible news to bring to him. Your son, the son that you love, your beloved son, Benjamin, of your wife, Rachel, who you love very much, he's no more. He's lost. Remember, at one point they said of Joseph himself, he's been attacked by a wild beast and they must have torn him to pieces and here's his robe soaked in blood. And now all of these things are coming back to them just the way that they had paid it out over 20 years earlier. Uh, kind of interesting in all of this. But Judah steps up and he says, how shall we clear ourselves? God has found out. Good job, Judah. You're on the right page, okay? When you are being tested, one of the most important things is to be on the right page. It does you no good to pass a test that wasn't the test you're supposed to be taking. But Judah now is on the right page. He recognizes that these brothers are being tested. You know, and there, there would be things that they could even go through their mind and think back in the story of their ancestors. They could go back to virtually the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. 
And you recall when Cain and Abel, it was their turn to worship God and bring sacrifice, how Abel brought a sacrifice that was pleasing. Cain brought a sacrifice, we read in the New Testament, that wasn't pleasing to God because his heart wasn't right. And in Genesis chapter 4, verse 7, God talks to Cain. He says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? The answer was yes. If I do well, I'll be accepted. And if you do not do well, sin lies at your door. You are being tested. Are you going to do good or not is basically what God is saying. God has given him a chance. Cain, I'm testing you, okay? And if you do good, you'll be accepted. But just know this, there's a test. Sin lies waiting, crouching at the door. And its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Don't cave. I've already told you it's a test. I already told you where it's hiding. <laughs> when it jumps on you, just don't, don't give it any quarter. Don't give it any room in your life. God has told all of us what is good and what does the Lord require of thee. But to do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. It's not rocket science. Okay? It's pretty basic. Back in Genesis, he says, uh, if you do well, will it not be accepted? And uh, now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? This is what these boys are being tested about in Egypt now with Joseph. Am I my brother's keeper? Who made me responsible for that, that one who is no more? Interesting as we play that on out in um, Galatians. Well, I'll go, to, I'll go to Numbers 32. And in Numbers 32, verse 20, we read, Then Moses said to them, if you do this thing and arm yourselves before the Lord for war and the land is subdued before the Lord, then afterward you may return and be blameless. Okay, so the Lord is talking and he's saying, when you go into the promised land, there's three of the brothers, there's Gad, Reuben, and Manasseh. When they got to the promised land, they said, oh, we want to stay on this side of the river. Really good grazing. Can we stay here? And God says, yes, but you're going to have to go with your brothers and support your brothers as they go to war in the promised land. And if you go to the war with them and fight until the battle is over, then you will do well. He says, if you do this thing, if you arm yourselves before the Lord for war, and the land is subdued before the Lord, then afterward you may return and be blameless before the Lord and before Israel, and this land shall be your possession before the Lord. But, there's always those exceptions, if you do not do so, then take note, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. Okay? Cain, sin lies crouching at the door but you're supposed to rule over it. Am I my brother's keeper? What's this blood that's crying out from the ground? Moses to the children of Israel, you guys need to go with your brothers. You need to fight side by side with them. If you do, it will be a blessing. But if you don't, just know God's watching and your sin, it will find you out. Galatians in chapter 6 
beginning of verse 7 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he also will reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith, to our brothers. There's a test, and the test is, am I my brother's keeper? The answer is yes. The test is, you mean I have to go into battle with my brother and stand there with him in the fight? The answer is yes. The question is, how are we sowing? What do we anticipate to reap? How are we as a church among many churches around the world, how are we standing together? Are we our brother's keeper? This is the question that's on the table now with the tribes of Israel, okay, in this issue with the, the money that's in the sack. Get back into the message here, okay? So Judas steps up and he takes account of what's going on. Um, verse 17, he said to him, far be it from me that I should do so. I'm not going to hold you all accountable. Only the one with the silver cup, the one who has the silver cup, okay, uh, in whose hand the cup was found. He shall be my slave as for you. Go up to your father in peace. And you know there ain't going to be no peace in that journey, right? And so Joseph is really just just working in his heart and in his soul. How many of you have had that experience <laughs> where, where you got this issue and you know you've got to settle it? You've got ought against your brother. There's something that you have that's not quite right. Uh, Jesus says that when you go to give your offering and you find out that there's something wrong in your heart, leave your offering and go get right with your brother and then come back and leave your offering. God doesn't recognize our acts of worship our sacrifices, our gifts, our tithes, all the good things we do if it comes from a heart that has bitterness in it. We need to do business with God first, and then we can go do these things. Um, and so verse 18. Now, 18 through 34, I'm just going to read the whole thing, and this is where Judah passes the test. This is his good confession. He's complete, he's open, he's transparent, he lays it all out. Okay, he's uh, accepting responsibility, and he's willing to pay the penalty, whatever it would be. Verse 18, then Judah came near to him and said, O my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's hearing, and do not let your anger burn against your servant, for you are even like Pharaoh. My Lord asked his servants, saying, have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, we have a father an old man, and a child of his old age who is young, and his brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, bring him down to me, that I may set my eyes on him. And we said to my Lord, the lad cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. But you said to your servants, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall see my face no more. So it was, we went up to your servant, my father, that we told him the words of my Lord. And our father said, go back and buy us a little food. But we said, we cannot go down if our youngest brother is 
if our youngest brother is with us, then we will go down, for we may not see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons, and the one went out from me, and I said, surely he is torn to pieces, and I have not seen him since. But if you take this one also from me, and calamity befalls him, you shall bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. Now, therefore, when I came, when I come to your servant, my father, and the lad is not with us, his life is bound up with the lad's life. It will happen when he sees that the lad is not with us, that he will die. So your servants will bring down the gray hair of your servant, our father, with sorrow to the grave. For your servant became surety for the lad to my father, saying, if I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father forever. Now, therefore, please let your servant remain instead of the lad as a slave to my Lord, and let the lad go up with his brothers. For how shall I go up to my father if the lad is not with me, lest perhaps I see the evil that would come upon my father? Right? So Judah steps up, and he tells the whole story. Uh, good, bad, and ugly, he confesses, he accepts responsibility, and he says, I, I was made surety. I, I promised my father that if, if something would happen, I would go in his place, that I would bear whatever burden, whatever responsibility would come upon us brothers. Um, and it, it's kind of cool. You see this in many people of faith as you go through the Bible. In Exodus, in chapter 32, beginning at verse 31, this is when the, the children of Israel went up. He was up on the mountain, and they sinned with the golden calf, and he comes back down. It says, verse 31 of Exodus 32, Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh, these people have committed a great sin and have made for themselves a god of gold. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book, which you have written. Moses had enough care for his brothers, his fellow Israelites, that he says, I'll take their penalty. If, if you can forgive them, forgive them. But if not, take it out on me, Lord. Let me be the one to bear that price. Moses was innocent. He was with God. He had no blood on his hands, but he was willing to accept uh, the penalty for all these others. Um, in Romans chapter 9, the Apostle Paul says the same thing about the Israelites. He says in verse or chapter 9, verse 1, I tell the truth in Christ. I am not lying, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit, that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, for my countrymen, according to the flesh who are Israelites. I, I could wish that I could take their place. Curse me. Bring whatever is coming to them. I'll take it on myself. And of course, and ultimately, Jesus would say this in Matthew chapter 20, beginning at verse 27, Jesus talking to the apostles who are arguing which one of us is greatest, right? And they're just, they're arguing, they're quarreling amongst themselves. They're supposed to be Christians by their love, they should be known one to another. Um, verse 27 of Matthew 20, Jesus says, And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life 
a ransom for many. And this is what Jesus has done for us. He became our ransom. He stepped into our place, the place that we were supposed to have to have paid the penalty. Jesus did that for us, okay? And it's, it's interesting here, Judah is stepping into that role. The Lion of Judah, Jesus Christ, would fulfill that so many years into the future. And we look at that, that's, that's what is that? That's a great exchange. Receiving mercy, not getting the penalty that I deserve, but instead of the penalty, I receive grace, getting what I don't deserve. I get Jesus, and Jesus goes to the cross in my place. And we call it the great exchange, okay? What do I, what do I give God? What do I have that God can use or, or whatever? Well, I got a pile of sin. God says, give it to me. And we give him sin. He gives us salvation. There's 10 things I've got in a list here. You could go on probably all morning long about the great exchange, what we got and what Jesus gave. Jesus was punished that we might be forgiven. Jesus was wounded that we are healed. Jesus was made sin with our sinfulness that we may be made righteous with his righteousness. Jesus tasted death for us that we might share his life. Jesus was made a curse that we might receive a blessing. Jesus endured our poverty that we might share in his abundance. Jesus bore our shame that we might share his glory. Jesus endured my rejection that I might have his acceptance with the Father. Jesus was cut off that we might be joined to the Lord. Our old man was put to death in Jesus that the new man might come to life in Jesus. It's a great exchange. It's a wonderful thing. And here Judah has passed the test. And uh, so we jump into chapter 45, verse 1. Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried out, make everyone go out from me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I'm Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. What a, what a family reunion. What, a, what an amazing moment this is in this story. They've passed the test. The test is complete. Judah stood up in the place of the brothers and said, take me in exchange for what all these brothers are owed. Let my brother go free, just like Jesus has done for us. And then Joseph, as we've seen a type of Christ, a picture of Jesus in Genesis, Joseph uh, couldn't restrain himself. He was so excited before all those who stood by him, and he cried out, make everyone go out from me. And it says that he was crying so loud that even everybody in the house, all the Egyptians and everybody, they're hearing all this crying going on. There's Joseph with his brothers, right? We saw him weep when he first saw his brothers coming, and he recognized them, and it caused them to cry. Um, and then he asked, how's the family? How's, how's dad? How's Benjamin? Of course, he didn't say that because they didn't know he was. But he got this report, they're doing well. They're still alive. And after 22 years, 
Joseph's heart is just so full. It said it, it, it was, um, his heart was heated or, or warm, that he just had this fond desire to be with them. And then here it says that he weeps, and he reaps loud and uncontrollably upon hearing this confession. And uh, it's kind of fun. Nobody is happier when a sinner repents and comes back than God the Father himself. Luke has a story. We know it as the prodigal son, but truly it's really the story of the faithful father, all right? And there was the son. He said, give me my inheritance, and he went out and he spent it on all kinds of vile things until he found himself in a place where there was nowhere left but up. And in uh, Luke chapter 15 at verse 17, the story goes, but he, when he came to himself, when he repented, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father, but... That was his plan. I'm coming back on my hands and knees. I'm begging forgiveness. I've changed my heart. I ask for nothing if I could just be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. If you would just let me come in. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him. His father was watching for him. His father was waiting for him. His father was looking for him. His father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. He didn't wait. He came running. And verse 21, and the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. This is just like Judah making this confession before Joseph. And you can be sure Joseph's heart is just bursting with joy to hear the truth come forward. Um, Verse 22 of Luke 15, but the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. This is what's happening. This is the story. This is the test. Can you walk in the truth? Can you walk in integrity? Can you walk in love for your brother? And here the test has passed and there's great rejoicing going on. No doubt these are tears. This is weeping, but they're tears of joy. I remember the first time our son Aaron experienced tears of joy. How many of you guys have ever seen or had tears of joy? You, you, you get so happy, you, you, you know, and, and you know, it's a wonderful thing, and it's kind of odd, but you're just, you're just so overwhelmed with emotions. No doubt the hormones are just raging, and your body's just like, you're just excited beside yourself. But what's so beautiful is when you see it in somebody else, especially your own child. Your own child finally has that moment where they just have joy that's just so pure and overwhelming they cry and we asked why are you crying he goes i don't know i'm just so happy he had no idea what was going on but that's just a beautiful beautiful thing well here they are and they're just having this wonderful moment verse four and joseph said to his brothers please come near me so they came near then he said i am joseph your brother you sold into egypt 
I can imagine this picture, you know, we're going to see it come to pass uh, in, the, in the near future. Uh, in the um, last days as we're living, God is going to call all of Israel, the nation of Israel, back to him. And the prophet Zechariah, 700 years before the time of Christ, wrote um, in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10, he says, And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. I'm just going to pour blessing upon them. And they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. That moment that Israel looks into the eyes of their Messiah, of Jesus Christ, and they recognize, I'm the one why you were pierced. It's for our sins that you went to the cross. And, and, and that moment of realization, well, it happens to all of us, okay? That's, that's not just Israel, right? But as we confess Christ and we see sin for what it is, your heart is pierced. And you all of a sudden see sin the way God sees it. And not only that, but you see His Son without all of the trappings of the world. But you look upon Him and you go, you're the one that died for me. You know, it's an amazing thing. When we get to heaven, we read in the book of Galatians, the only thing that's going to be in heaven that is man-made are the scars on Jesus' body. He will still have the scars and will look upon Him and we'll see, he was the lamb slain before the foundation of the earth, that he did this for us. And I can just imagine that moment. Paul writes about it in the book of Romans in chapter 2 at verse 4 to us, or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? And here these brothers are standing in front of Joseph. And he's been so kind to them and so good to them. He's given them their grain that they asked for. He's given them money in the sacks that they've asked for. He's blessed upon blessing upon blessing. But now they're finally starting to see who the blessor actually is. And that's such a, such a beautiful thing for all of us. But God does this for us, his goodness to us, his forbearance, his patience with us. Can anybody say amen for God's patience? His long-suffering and not knowing that the goodness of God leads us to repentance. And this is, this is our call. This is the test for us, church. Are we good? We've got a world today that's lost. They need to know Jesus. They need to see Jesus. They need to know who He is. But we, we need to share that in goodness, in patience, in love. This is what's going to draw people to us, not railing against them because they're sinners, come to the table. <laughs> we all did. There's more room. Come on in. So we see this developing here. Um, and, and in this, I just, as a church, and I'll take a, just a second on my little pastor's moment, if I would. As we all know, we're celebrating a huge victory <laughs> that the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. 49 years of prayer, 49 years of looking for the day that we would see that overturned. Now, we realize this is just a battle in a war. 
And the war is raging, but it is a great victory, and it's something that we certainly should, should celebrate, right? We've prayed for it. Have we prepared for it? Are we ready for what's going to happen because of it? Um, Sage Women's Center, right? We were there on Friday night to be there on vigil in case there was any negative acts against the care center. You know there are newspapers in America and websites in America that are dedicated to publishing the addresses and names of all the crisis pregnancy centers across the United States. And even our own Idaho statesman up in Boise has po posted a list of all the crisis pregnancy care centers in the Treasure Valley to make it easy for those people who want to go and protest and attack them. It's, it's wicked. It's evil, right? And yet, we were there on Friday night in case anything bad would happen that hopefully would be a presence, there would be light, there would be life, and it would maybe deter somebody from doing something wrong. And as it was, it was a celebration. There was nothing bad. It was great. We were rejoicing. We had a night of prayer and thanksgiving, and we got to, to know the ministry better. But now it's game on. We prayed, but are we prepared? Because now that abortion will be illegal in Idaho, we've already got the trigger laws, they will go into effect. That means that we need to step up our game. We need to be there. Do you expect when you pray that your prayers are going to be answered? Um, we need to fight the good fight, okay? And we need to recognize that in this cultural warfare that we're in, okay, this civil war that is really tearing the fiber of our country apart, we need to fight. We need to stand up and fight, as Paul would tell Timothy, uh, to fight the good fight. But as you know, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We don't, we don't actually fight against Jane's revenge or these uh, Antifa mobs, okay? What do we do? We wrestle against not flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age and against the spiritual host of wickedness in every, every heavenly place. And so we fight and we must stand. We must get in the fight and we must put on, this is how we fight, we must put on the armor of God, truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation, the word of God, and prayer. This is how we fight our battles. We read in 2 Corinthians 10, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And this part is really interesting and it's good to unravel and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. You know what that says? The war starts here. We got to get our heart right. We got to win this battle, okay? Before we go out and think that we're going to battle against principalities and plowers and the rulers of darkness in this present age, like right? the spiritual forces of wickedness, you got to get this part right, okay? We need to fight in truth. We need to fight in joy, in peace. We need to fight beautifully. In fact, it's interesting as um, 
Paul says to Timothy to fight the good fight. That, that term, good fight, the word good is actually the Greek word for beautiful. It's a beautiful fight. And that word for fight is actually the word for agony. It's the same word that describes Jesus Christ on the cross. The beautiful agony. This is how we fight our battles. We must be able to, not with our hands tied behind our back, <laughs> our hands nailed to the cross, somehow we have to find it within ourselves to say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. We need to be able to lay down our life for the brethren. We need to agonize beautifully, so beautifully that the goodness of God will draw them to repentance. They'll desire what we have. And so there's my little pastor's moment, but this is what's happening. Woohoo! Celebration. They've, they've been restored. They're in relationship. Chapter 45, verse 5. But now, do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years, the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and a ruler throughout the land of Egypt. It wasn't you that sent me here. It was God that sent me here. This is what we call providence. This is God seeing the need and meeting the need. It's all God from beginning to end. And how often we, mis we mistake God's secondary actions often nudges and pokes. He, he would say to Paul, goads, okay, sharp sticks that are trying to move you towards Christ. And we look at these secondary actions that God is doing to us He's making us uncomfortable, our hearts all stirred up because he wants us to come to him. He's trying to get us to see what's good, and he turns up the heat. The, the famine is severe so that we would come to him, but this is God's providence in all of these things. I like it, and they would have had this lesson before them with their great-grandfather, Abraham. As Abraham went up on the Mount, Mount Calvary to sacrifice his son Isaac, and they, as they're going up the hill, in uh, Genesis chapter 22, Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look at the fire. Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, and I love this, in the Hebrew, the way it is phrased is fantastic. He says, My son, God will provide himself the lamb for a burnt offering. And literally, that can be read, he will be the offering. He will be the lamb. God will provide himself the lamb. And then we see the story continues. They get up there. There's a lamb, a ram with his horns caught in the thicket. They, they sacrifice that. And in verse 15, Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide. The Hebrew for that is Jehovah Jireh. The Lord is provider. And that's a word that really is broken down by the word pro and video. You know what a video is, right? You see things. Video is things you watch and you see. Well, God is watching. 
God is seeing. He's seeing in advance, pro-video. He knows how the story goes. And so he pro-videos you. He provides for you. He is the provision, okay? God is the one who meets us in our need. This is what we call the providence of God. And Jacob says, it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Harrow, Pharaoh, ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. Come on. Let's everybody together bring the whole family. The famine's going to go on five more years, but don't worry. I'll take good care of you. So he goes on. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen. Now that's in the fertile Nile River Delta there as it empties into the Mediterranean. Wonderful uh, agricultural land. You will dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near to me. You and your children and your children's children, your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. There I will provide for you, lest you and your household and all that have come to poverty, for there are still five years of famine. So don't, don't dilly-dally. It's going to be hard for a while still. Verse 12, and behold, your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my mouth that speaks to you. Kind of interesting, and I was riddling through this. It's kind of interesting. He says, behold with your eyes, the eyes of your brother Benjamin, and then it's my mouth that is talking to you. He's trying to convince him that it's him. And what does he use to convince him? Look at my eyes. Look at the way I talk. My eyes are the same as Benjamin's eyes. Who was Benjamin's mom and Joseph's mom, Rachel? Do you remember when we met Rachel in the Bible and Joseph, or I mean, that was back with, um, was it Isaac? <laughs> Having a moment here. There was Leah, it was Jacob, okay? And there was Leah and Rachel, but it said and Rachel's eyes were beautiful. It was remarked upon. There was something about her eyes. We don't know what it was, but there was something about those eyes. And now these two boys, they have those eyes. And he says, you want to know if it's me? Look at our eyes. We've got that family resemblance. Kind of cool in there. Um, Behold, your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my mouth that speaks with you. So you shall tell my father of all my glory in Egypt and of all that you have seen, and you shall hurry and bring my father, bring my father down here, right? Isn't that the truth? In uh, 1 John 3, it says, uh, Beloved, behold the manner of love which the Father has given to us, right? That we should be called the sons of God. And it says, and then we will look into his eyes and we will see him. As we are seen, we will be known as we are known. And it's kind of a cool picture, a fore picture of what's going to happen for all of us here. Uh, verse 14, then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept on his neck. If you're keeping track, this is the fourth time that Joseph cries, right? Again, tears of joy, again. Verse 15, moreover, he kissed all his brothers and wept over them, and after that his brothers talked with him. So they finally have this family reunion. Um, verse 16, now the report was heard in Pharaoh's house saying, Joseph's brothers have come, so it pleased Pharaoh and his servants well. Okay, wow, this is a wonderful thing. Good for Joseph, right? Because Pharaoh knew Joseph's story. I was sold as a slave, and I'm, I'm an orphan child, basically. But Pharaoh brought him into his court, and what a blessing. And now to see this person who has blessed the nation of Israel and made Pharaoh the ruler of the greatest empire on earth, to see that this blessing has come to this one who's blessed him so much just made Pharaoh so happy. Um, 
And so verse 17, Pharaoh said to Joseph, say to your brothers, do this, load your animals and depart, go to the land of Canaan, bring your father and your households and come to me. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you will eat of the fat of the land or the best of the land. Verse 19, you, now you are commanded, do this, take carts out of the land of Egypt for your little ones and your wives and bring your father and come. Also do not, do not be concerned about your goods for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. Then the sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them carts according to the command of Pharaoh, and he gave them provisions for the journey. He gave to all of them, to each man, changes of garments, but to Benjamin he gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of garments, okay? And we get that now. It makes sense. And he sent to his father these things, 10 donkeys loaded with good things of Egypt and 10 female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and food for his father for for his father for the journey. So he sent his brothers away and they departed. And he said to them, see that you do not become troubled along the way. So Pharaoh even gets in on the action and says, hey, just tell your family, come here. They can live. I'll give them the best land. I'll make sure they have everything they need. They don't, they don't have to take a thing with them. Just I'll even send the carts, okay? And then you put all your kids and all your family in the carts and come back to me. But just leave all that other stuff behind. Don't worry about the stuff. I've got stuff. I'm going to take good care of you with the stuff. You just bring your families, right? And this is what they did. He says, don't, don't argue along the way, or actually, don't be troubled. That is, don't become angry or don't quarrel. So this is the parting advice to the brothers. And when you guys leave, be nice to each other. Why do you think he would give them that bit of advice? <laughs> just, just a reminder, okay? Go in peace, right? This is a good thing. Uh, a little side note in this, at verse 19 and 20, when uh, Cheryl and I and Aaron were in the Philippines, it was time for us to come back to the United States, and we knew we'd have to come back. And I'll tell you, we had been there approaching seven years, most a good part of that. And if you've ever lived any place for seven years, you know how much stuff you can get? I mean, for most of us, it doesn't take but seven months, and we've got piles of stuff, right? And we had been in the Philippines, and we lived there. And as far as we were concerned, unless the Lord called us someplace else, we would die there. We were there, so we built our home, and we purchased furniture and vehicles, and we, we had everything, all kinds of stuff. I had a library, huge library, all these kinds of things, and I'm praying about coming back to the States and what awaits us here. And, and we had no idea when we left where we would really go. We just thought, we'll get back and we'll see our family. And uh, we hadn't seen them for years. We'll stay with them for a month and then we'll figure out from there what's next. And, and God gave me this verse. Now, it's not necessarily that what he's saying in this verse, but it just spoke to my heart. Here, Pharaoh is saying it to Jacob. And he said it was a command. You command him. You tell him here's the carts, get in and come back and leave the stuff, just bring your family, just bring your kids. And as we looked at that, it wasn't the first time in our life, but we've had a series of these in our lives where God says, I'm going to take you out of this place now and I'm going to move you someplace new. Leave the stuff behind. My library is still in the Philippines. My vehicle is still in the Philippines. My furniture is still in the Philippines. We came back with suitcases the same way we went, okay? But we brought back 
all the lives, all the people that God had built into our life, the treasure. Our carts are so full of that. In fact, one of the last things we did before we left the Philippines is I talked to the social worker there and I said, just would you mind going through, because we did so many adoptions, would you mind going through all the people that we've served since Cheryl and I have been here and let us know what the outcome is. For example, if they had been adopted, are they in Spain or Canada or Australia? And, you know, so we would have follow-up contact information where everybody went. She came back, the social worker, and she brought us the list. And as we tallied it all up, it was exactly 100 people, 100 souls that had now families someplace on our watch. It was a whole team, okay? And it was God, okay? But it was something that we can take with us. This is something we, but we left the stuff behind because God says, when you get there, I'm going to give you everything you need. And we had no idea there was here. He didn't know. But we look at what we have now beyond whatever we could dream or imagine. And it was just a word from the Lord to me, commanded him, go. If I say go, trust me. If I say go, I will provide for you. If I say go, obey. It's a test, Jacob. It's a test, Mike. Will you trust me in this? Well, they passed the test, okay? Verse 25, they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan, Jacob their father, and they told him, saying, Joseph is still alive, and he's governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart stood still because he did not believe them. You can imagine. I, I, I don't understand what you're saying. You mean he's dead. You showed me his robe. I, I, all these years I've been grieving. I, I'm having a hard time processing this. Verse 27, but when they told him all the words which Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. Amen. Can you see the carts that God has given us? Or can you see the Supreme Court rulings that God has given us? What are we going to do with that? What are we going to do with this provision that God has brought to us, church? Because be sure, these chapters are a test, but we are in the test, church. This is our turn. God has brought us the carts. He's opened the door, but what are we going to do with it? Worship team, come on up. Then Israel said, it's not Jacob anymore, is it? Then Israel said, it's enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Just absolutely mind-boggling. So church, we have a test in front of us. It's not just the birthright issues. There are so many things in our society that are just coming unraveled, but God has called us to walk in faith, like Joseph, to see God in the details, to recognize that all things, and that includes stinky things, the, the, the word all in the Greek, it means all. <laughs> all things, including the stinky things, work together for good. For those who love God 
and are called according to his purpose. Are you called according to his purpose? I'd like to just close with this out of 1 John chapter 3. My little bookmark just fell out, okay? And just something for us to, to ponder in our hearts. And I, I pray this almost, I, I, I read this as a prayer for us as a church. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil, devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was a wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. That's the test. Are you up to the test? He's put the answers on the board. He's allowed you to study beforehand. We just need to walk in truth. We need to walk in integrity. We need to walk in love. We need to walk in victory. And you can be certain that when everything is said and done, we'll be looking into the eyes of Jesus Christ. Amen? Father, I want to thank you so much for the story of Joseph, how it encourages us, each of us a Joseph to some degree, who the world has mistreated, and each of us to Joseph in some degree, whom your love and grace and mercy has redeemed and filled with a heart of compassion and love and hope and joy. Let us be Josephs in our generation. Let us not return evil for evil, but allow us, Lord, to be ministers of grace in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Thanks for joining us today. To learn more about the Springs Calvary Chapel, please visit our website at www.thespringscalvarychapel.org. Join us in person at the Springs in Hebron, Idaho, or here on the podcast as we worship together in spirit and in truth.